Chapter Sixteen of the Haunted Hotel, A Mystery of Modern Venice. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Kainde. The Haunted Hotel, by Wilkie Collins, Chapter Sixteen. It was only the twentieth of September when Agnes and the children reached Paris. Mrs. Norbury and her brother, Francis, had then already started on their journey to Italy, at least three weeks before the date at which the new hotel was to open for the reception of travellers. The person answerable for this premature departure was Francis Westwick. Like his younger brother Henry, he had increased his pecuniary resources by his own enterprise and ingenuity, with this difference— that his speculations were connected with the arts. He had made money, in the first instance, by a weekly newspaper, and he had then invested his profits in a London theatre. This latter enterprise, admirably conducted, had been rewarded by the public with steady and liberal encouragement. Pondering over a new form of theatrical attraction for the coming winter season, Francis had determined to revive the languid public taste for the ballet by means of an entertainment of his own invention, combining dramatic interest with dancing. He was now accordingly in search of the best dancer, possessed of the indispensable personal attractions, who was to be found in the theatres of the continent. Hearing from his foreign correspondents of two women who had made successful appearances, one at Milan and one at Florence, he had arranged to visit those cities and to judge of the merits of the dancers for himself, before he joined the bride and bridegroom. His widowed sister, having friends at Florence, whom she was anxious to see, readily accompanied him. The Montberrys remained at Paris until it was time to present themselves at the family meeting in Venice. Henry found them still in the French capital when he arrived from London on his way to the opening of the new hotel. Against Lady Montbury's advice, he took the opportunity of renewing his addresses to Agnes. He could hardly have chosen a more unpropitious time for pleading his cause with her. The gaieties of Paris, quite incomprehensibly to herself as well as to everyone about her, had a depressing effect on her spirits. She had no illness to complain of. She shared willingly in the ever-varying succession of amusements afforded to strangers by the ingenuity of the liveliest people in the world, but nothing roused her. She remained persistently dull and weary through it all. In this frame of mind and body she was in no humour to receive Henry's ill-timed addresses with favour, or even with patience, she plainly and positively refused to listen to him. "'Why do you remind me of what I have suffered?' she asked petulantly. "'Don't you see that it has left its mark on me for life?' "'I thought I knew something of women by this time,' Henry said, appealing privately to Lady Montbury for consolation. "'But Agnes completely puzzles me. It is a year since Montbury's death, and she remains as devoted to his memory as if he had died faithful to her. She still feels the loss of him, as none of us feel it. She is the truest woman that ever breathed the breath of life, Lady Montbury answered. Remember that, and you will understand her. Can such a woman as Agnes give her love or refuse it, according to circumstances? 
Because the man was unworthy of her, was he less the man of her choice? The truest and best friend to him, little as he deserved it, in his lifetime, she naturally remains the truest and best friend to his memory now. If you really love her, wait and trust to your two best friends, to time and to me. There is my advice. Let your own experience decide whether it is not the best advice that I can offer. Resume your journey to Venice tomorrow, and when you take leave of Agnes, speak to her as cordially as if nothing had happened. Henry wisely followed this advice. Thoroughly understanding him, Agnes made the leave-taking friendly and pleasant on her side. When he stopped at the door for a last look at her, she hurriedly turned her head so that her face was hidden from him. Was that a good sign? Lady Montbury, accompanying Henry down the stairs, said, Yes, decidedly. Right when you get to Venice. We shall wait here to receive letters from Arthur and his wife, and we shall time our departure for Italy accordingly. A week passed, and no letter came from Henry. Some days later a telegram was received from him. It was dispatched from Milan instead of from Venice, and it brought this strange message. I have left the hotel. We'll return on the arrival of Arthur and his wife. Address, meanwhile, Albergo Real. Milan. Preferring Venice before all other cities of Europe, and having arranged to remain there until the family meeting took place, what unexpected event had led Henry to alter his plans? And why did he state the bare fact, without adding a word of explanation? Let the narrative follow him, and find the answer to those questions at Venice. End of chapter 16 Recording by Kehinde of Bajrak.com.